This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 236, recorded on Monday, November the 2nd, 2015. Remember, remember the 2nd of November? I think it was the 5th, but, you know, close enough. We're not going to be recording on the 5th, only the 4th, so that would have been more appropriate, but what are you going to do? <laughs> I'll wait then. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Just wait. Do that next time. Yeah. Um, how was your Halloween? Uh, it was good. We watched uh, we watched The Exorcist and uh, sat by a fire and gave out candy to about 15 to 20 kids. That doesn't seem like many kids. Do you usually have more or less that no, come by? No, that's, that's about normal. Is it because of your location, like you're a bad end of the block or something? Uh, I'm not sure. It very well could be. There's uh, We live across the street from a park, so it's, uh, you know, there's not the usual up the street, down the street kind of thing. It's like uh, when kids are coming up the street, they see like, I either go to the end of the block and then have to come all the way back through, you know, by the park and not hit any houses, or I can just cross the street now and start heading back. So I think we're in a, a part of the street where kids tend to skip. So instead of trick-or-treaters, you have hooligans hanging out across the street in the park, probably not knocking on doors. Not a lot of good, not a lot of hooliganism around here. It's from, I mean, we had our tires slashed a little while, but that's more of uh, vandalism than hooliganism. But uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Not a lot of not that I know of. Not a lot of tomfoolery. Not a lot of tomfoolery. What about skullduggery? A little bit of skullduggery. There was a a, <laughs> a high school age kid who set up a slack line between two trees and was practicing out there over the summer. I oh, that's that was cool. interesting. Yeah. That's cool. I've tried slacklining. It's damn impossible. It's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Uh, we went from Halloween to slacklining all in like less than two minutes, I'd say yeah. there. Uh, Halloween good. You? Uh, Halloween was good at our place too. My parents came over. They they handled the candy distribution uh, duties while uh, we took the kids out trick-or-treating. And we happened to live on a street that is just insane for trick-or-treating. Well, you got, you got a very, you got a high density there compared to where I live. Oh yeah. High density, a lot of kids. And, um, somehow our street got mentioned in, not this year, but many years ago and it's been building, but it got mentioned in some list of the best places to trick-or-treat in the city. Really? So I think kids from around the area all come and go up and down our street. So it's just jam packed with kids. Wow. And it makes for a fun time for sure. But people go crazy. Like they, th- there was uh there was a whole family out there dressed up as a hockey team and they had a little fake rink set up, not a, nice. you know, not a, they weren't skating around, but obviously, but, um, um, just, they go all out people who decorate their entire house. They have eyes up in the top windows and like a big, uh, plywood mouth built onto it. And the house looks like a monster head. It was amazing. That sounds fun. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's, it's a good time around here on Halloween. So it was good. Uh, kids brought in a pretty good haul and, uh, I've been eating their candy for a couple of days already. Well, it's a good opportunity to teach your kids about income tax. <laughs> right. They bring... They bring home the candy and I take 50% of it. You take a percentage of it. <laughs> that's you know, right. That's just, that's a, it's a tax. It's the way the world works, I'm afraid. You want to live under my roof? Yeah. I tax your candy. Yep. <laughs> that's the way it works. Okay. And the way this podcast works is that we are here to talk about season six, episode four. And I'm not going to lie, Jason, we're about to spend a lot of time talking about Morgan. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was the Morgan episode. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it was. And it was 90 minutes long. So there's a lot of Morgan to get through here. Extra jam-packed Morgan Alooza. Morgan Alooza. I like that. Morgan, one one of the other. It works okay. Uh, So this episode is called Here's Not Here. And we've got a couple of people to read the title here. Here is not here. Hey, it's here, man. Let me in. Uh, here's not here, man. No, man, it's me here. Let me in. No, no man, here's not here. <laughs> oh, man. Cheech and Chong reference. All right. That was amazing. So thank you, Mary in Pennsylvania for the first one. And Neil in Cumbria, UK with a Cheech and Chong reference. I thought that was absolutely brilliant when Neil sent that in. Yes. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Cheech and Chong. Especially Tommy Chong, specifically. <laughs> Dave's not here, man. Dave's no, not here. It's me, Dave. Oh, man, it's me, Dave. I got to stop. <laughs> Dave's not here. <laughs> Here's not here. <laughs> That's awesome. My favorite Tommy Chong moment was when he, when he was on that 70s show. Uh, uh-huh. Tommy Chong, he's Canadian, and he's actually, uh, his parents are Chinese, right? But he doesn't look Chinese at all. And uh, so in that 70s show, at one point he said, I'm pretty sure I'm Chinese, man. And he is. <laughs> kind of funny. I didn't know that, but that's a pretty good joke. <laughs> yeah. I think his mother was Chinese kind of thing. Okay. So, yeah, he's definitely Chinese, but of Chinese heritage. And uh, that was my favorite line of him in that 70s show, which he had to take a break from to go to jail. Oh, well, that's unfortunate, but yeah, it happens. Maybe he's turned his life around now and he's an upstanding citizen. Seriously doubt it. <laughs> Here's not here, man. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, well, let's get into our recap for this one. So, something familiar at the beginning of this episode. It starts with now. Yeah. Where Do you recall where we saw this before? I mean, it was on The Walking Dead. I don't know which episode it was, but they did now and then. And I think they switched back and forth a few times. And uh, in this one, we just get a now, and then we get a then, and then that's it. No, we we come back to now. Well, I know we do, but I'm I'm saying we don't get a title uh, card at the end. But I couldn't remember which episode this they did this in. Was it last season or the season before? I have no memory. All right. Well, they have done it before, but uh, we start with now, and Morgan walks into the frame and he's talking to somebody, and it turns out I'm just gonna get right to it here. It turns out he's talking to the long haired alpha wolf as he's known that he fought with in, in the house a couple episodes ago. And I thought he killed him at the time, but apparently he did not kill him. He just knocked him out, bound his hands. And now he's keeping him in this kind of, uh, jail, not jail. Well, that's the room he was in when he first showed up, right? Oh, was that the same room? Yeah. I, I assume it was the same room. It's the, it's the holding area for, new people that are not to be trusted. Right, right, right. Okay, so he's he's keeping him in there. And my first watch through of this episode, it didn't occur to me right away, or I didn't figure out right away who he was talking to. But when I watched it again, it's clear by what he says who he's talking to. So it's uh, that's why I thought I'd just throw it out there right now, right off the top. It's not... Um, it's not a secret by any means, because he's talking about things like... Uh, uh, when we were sitting around the fire and, you know, he's sort of reminding 
Morgan is reminding that wolf what the wolf said to him when they were out in the forest last season. Um, And one of the things the wolf said to him last season was, I'm going to take everything you have and then I'm going to kill you. And that's sort of what Morgan says here. He says, you want to hear my story? Here's every last bit. And he proceeds to tell him his story. Mm -hmm. So we cut to then. So this is our jump back in time. Now we have shots of Morgan. We start off in, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we have shots of Morgan in his apartment from Clear. Or in one of the buildings in the town, right? All right, so... That's this, his apartment for sure, yeah. Yeah, because there's stuff written all over the walls. You see clear, uh, you see here's not here, um, and he's obviously losing it. Like, he's been there for a while, and he's he starts a fire with a uh, with a gas lamp, I guess. Yep. And then he's kind of talking to himself, and he's all agitated, and he's yelling. He's saying things like, you were supposed to... Uh, you had the knife, you had the gun, you were supposed to, you know you were supposed to, things like this. And the fire is getting bigger and bigger. And I think this is Morgan basically destroying what's left of that town that he was living in that he was clearing. Yeah, so it's clear now. He, he can move on. That's right. He can He can move on from here, I suppose. I wasn't entirely sure what he was getting at with the lines, you know, you had the knife, you had the gun. I mean, is he referring to... Rick's visit and more and um and Michonne's visit he very well could be I don't know it was I thought he was just losing his shit and was talking gibberish I don't think it made any sense to me or yeah I, I that's the thing it didn't make a ton of sense to me but I was trying to put some context to it and all I could think of was either he was talking about himself like because Rick you know uh subdued him so they could sort of have a conversation when Rick and Michonne were there. And I sort of thought maybe Morgan was saying, you had the knife, you had the gun to himself, as if, you know, you were overpowered by this guy, even though you had a knife and you had a gun, you shouldn't let that happen. Right. But but maybe. I don't know. He, maybe he was talking about Rick saying, you know, Rick had a knife, Rick had a gun, and that just pisses me off that it, he was able to sort of overpower me so much. So I thought, you're right, it was just the ramblings of a crazy person, but I wanted a... I was looking for a little bit more sort of sense in there yeah, and not really finding it. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but as the fire gets bigger and bigger, the, the whole room goes up and uh, we go to the opening credits. Now, when we come back from the opening credits, we have Morgan in the forest and uh, he's got his riot helmet on. Just the helmet, really. No other protection. Or he might have his shin guards on, right? He's got the shin guards on, yeah. I don't know if we can see that in this shot, but he does have some of that riot gear. And we know this is crazy, Morgan, because they do this weird thing with the camera, or it's an effect, where the edges of the screen go all blurry. Right. Only when Morgan's in the frame, though, right? Right. But that's because Morgan's crazy, and this is yes. how they're showing craziness. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting decision on the, uh, it was either, you know, I don't know who decides these things, but uh, I think it was an interesting decision that it wasn't all the time. It was only when we had a close up of, uh, of Morgan, his face, when we saw the, uh, the crazy halo. Yeah, that's a good name for it, the crazy halo. But it was, um, it was used, it was one of the things used in this episode to show his transformation a little bit, right? Because it, it, the crazy halo was used a lot more at the beginning, early on. Yeah. Um, and then it 
later on it comes back at one point, but um, it was just, you're right, a close-up of Morgan and just a way of depicting how he's just in kind of a state of rage or at least a state of not thinking straight. And things are distorting around him, right? That's his perspective anyways. Um, but he's in the forest and he kills some zombies that he comes across with a gun club, I'm going to call it, because he doesn't, it's a it's a gun, but he doesn't use it to shoot anybody at this point. He's just swinging it like a baseball bat and clubbing yeah. people as much as he can or clubbing zombies. Mm-hmm. We see him burning a big stack of zombies and, you know, during the night while the zombies are burning, he kills any more that the fire attracts. And it seems like his whole plan here was to make a big giant fire, attract in any walkers from the surrounding area, take them out and throw them in the fire. Yep. It's basically his method of clearing this uh, little section of forest. (laughs) More clearing, yep. And uh, we do get kind of a cool scene where... A, a zombie comes right through the giant bonfire, <laughs> yeah, like out of nowhere, and just is all on fire. Now it doesn't pose any problem for Morgan, but it did. It did look kind of cool. Yeah. So I don't know. I I thought maybe he'd struggle with that one a little bit more, but he just took it out. He's very he's very good at clearing at this point. Yes, he's a, he's a machine. He's a clearing machine. He really is a clearing house, if you will. <laughs> a house of clearing. Um. So what else do we see him doing? He's sharpening spikes, like burnt ends of sticks into spikes, and he creates a circle of spikes, similar to what we saw in Clear, um, but on a smaller scale here. And he sticks them in the ground so that any zombies approaching will impale themselves and he can just take them off and throw them in the fire, I guess. Uh, We see some shots of him cooking and drinking around a small campfire, and he's writing messages on all the rocks, like Clear and... um, Here's oh, not here. Here's not here. And there was one other senseless acts or something like that. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, he's writing those messages around similar to like what he was doing in his apartment. Um, after this, I guess he figures that that area is clear. So he moves on and we get Morgan walking through the forest again. And he suddenly realizes that there's a couple of guys trailing him. Mm-hmm. So what's he going to do about this? Well, he hides behind a tree and immediately kills them. Yes. So he stabs one in the throat with his sharpened stick and yep. then, uh, strangles the other guy. Gets the gets on top of the guy, strangles him with his bare hands. Yeah. Um, very personal. Very personal. And not something Morgan of season one would, you know, have any business doing. No. Right? So he's he's in a different state at this point even when we saw him in clear last episode i don't think it was obvious that he was sort of this um brutal you know he was he was killing zombies and trying to get rid of all the walkers in the area but killing people i mean i guess he did sort of attack rick and them but uh this is the first person we've seen morgan clear back in his crazy days i mean kill yeah so yeah he's definitely in an altered state now yeah for sure killing the living and the dead alike yeah, exactly. He doesn't seem to see the difference. He's just trying to end everybody. Um, we get another bonfire, and we see some zombies stuck on the spikes he put up. There's more messages on the rocks and the trees around him. A big A. The A comes back. Every, yeah. every time someone stamps something or writes something or paints it in blood, it's an A. Yeah. Um, you, you think, uh, you know, just from standard distribution that we get different letters every now and again. So far, we've got an A and a W. That's pretty much it. A and W. Could use a hamburger. What about you? 
No, I just ate. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, clear and here's not here and stuff like that. So he's doing, he's really been doing the same stuff he was doing in the town, uh, but he's doing it in the forest now. So this is just seems to be his thing. Um, he's exploring around a little bit. He comes to a clearing with some flowers and he says to himself, you know what it is, and then does some really awkward sort of swings with uh, one of his zombie spikes. Yeah. So he started using the staff or this spike or spear anyways, but he's really, really awkward with it at this point. Yep. I don't know if you noticed how weird he looked. Well, he uh, was just swinging like a big stick around. It wasn't, uh, you know, in any kind of form whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so again, it's just sort of, this is the point he's at now and he's going to transform as this episode goes along. Um, now, the phrase, you know what it is, here's another one I didn't quite understand. Is this just more of the ramblings of a madman? Yes. <laughs> Are you just saying that because it's not clear what he was referring to? Or, I mean, is it not supposed to be? Well, I, I, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. It's not clear what he's talking about, so therefore it's ramblings of a madman. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's going on in his brain at this point, uh, except he hears a goat making noise. At this point, you don't hear that every day. Well, you don't. No, exactly. Certainly not where we live. Uh, But he hears a goat. So he goes to investigate and he steps over some cans that are strung up as a noisemaking device to alert somebody of approaching people, I guess. And he comes to a log cabin and the goat is tied up out front. So he's sort of cautious and. He's approaching the cabin, but then a mystery voice tells him to step away uh, from the goat because the goat doesn't belong to Morgan and he hasn't figured out how to make cheese yet. Right. (laughs) So here we have the cheese maker that Morgan referred to a couple of episodes ago. Now, Morgan is trying to clear and he's crazy, as we've said. So he raises his gun and the first thing he does is he shoots at the guy who we haven't really seen yet. Um, but the voice tells him to put the gun down so they can talk, maybe eat some falafel, which I think is a very friendly thing to offer. Well, you don't offer falafel to someone you want to beat about the head with a club. No, you don't. I mean, you don't offer to offer falafel to people that, you know, that you, that aren't your friends. No, you offer a burger to someone that isn't your friend, but you don't offer falafel. Okay. I'm glad we made that distinction. Yeah. You can, you can give a burger to a guy and then as soon as he takes a bite of it, you know, whack him in the head with a, with, you know, a shovel or an ax or something. But, you know, falafel, it's just, it's just not done. No, it's just not done. It's a very friendly food, the falafel. So Morgan goes around exploring this cabin a little bit and he's got his gun up and he doesn't trust anybody and we get the crazy halo again. So, you know, Morgan is, is in a state here. He's not happy. Um, Morgan doesn't find anybody, but as he turns around, he ends up getting clubbed in the back of the head. So he goes down. Mm -hmm. When he wakes up, he's in a cell inside the house, a metal barred jail cell, basically, and he's got fresh tomatoes cut up and some falafel right beside him. Yay. So this looks like a, it's probably the best meal he's had in months, right? Yeah. Uh, so I would, you know, if I were him, I'd be gobbling that up. Uh, he looks around and he sees a kid's drawing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so then a man comes in 
asks him his name, but Morgan, instead of saying Morgan, starts screaming, kill me, over and <laughs> over and over again. Well, I like the guy's reaction to uh, to, the, to Morgan saying, kill me. It's like, well, that's an unfortunate name. You should really change that. <laughs> yeah, it it really is, <laughs> if that was his actually, actually his name. But uh, the guy is like, you know what? You just need to shut up. He introduces himself as Eastman, and he throws Morgan a book called The Art of Peace. Yeah. who He's played by uh, uh, John Carroll Lynch, right? You know him from Fargo? Um, well, I, I recognized him, but I couldn't place him in anything. Oh, he was in Fork Fargo. He, uh, you finally saw Fargo, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw the movie and the first season of the TV show. All right. So he plays uh, Norm, son of a Gunderson. Uh, that's that's right. what they call him in there. Well, somebody calls him that in the movie, but Norm Gunderson. And uh, you know, he said, Margie, I'll make you some eggs. I'll fix you some eggs. Yeah, he was very familiar to me, but I wasn't sure where I knew him from. Uh, my wife pointed out that he played somebody on the Drew Carey show. He was on, oh, that's right. He was on the Drew Carey see, show. I never really watched that show. I saw a few episodes here or there, but I couldn't, I wouldn't have uh, recognized oh, him from that at all. that's right. He was on the Drew, he was Drew Carey's brother. Okay. I think. She said yeah, something. Steve Carey. Steve Carey. That's right. She that's said awesome. something about him being a cross-dresser. Yes, he was a crossdresser on as uh, Drew Carey's brother on the Drew Carey show. That is right. He was also in uh, Zodiac. Uh huh. Do you remember watch? Remember that movie? I remember it, but again, he don't was the remember. prime suspect for the Zodiac killer. Oh God! See that? You know what? That rings a bell. I feel like I feel like that makes sense to me. But he's one of those guys. I I see him and I'm like that guy. I know him from lots of stuff, but I can't name a single thing. No, I recognize him from a bunch of stuff, but that Drew Carey thing is awesome because, uh, yeah, that makes I that I didn't put that together. All right, well, until you told me here he's awesome. here he is playing Eastman, and that's really the only name we get for him. So we don't get a. I assume that's a last name, not a first name, but you never know. I guess. Well, yeah, uh, he's Eastman. Um, they, uh, you know, he just comes, just, he just come in the house, but he hears those cans rattling outside again and the goat starts bleeding out there. And as he's going out, he calls the goat Tabitha. So we know the goat's name and he takes out a zombie that's approaching with his staff and he drags it away. All the while Morgan is watching from the window. Right. So Eastman is a man who trying to make cheese from the goat's milk and is pretty good with a staff. Yeah, it has a goat and loves that goat. <laughs> he has it right. Of course he does. It's his only friend. Yeah, and he's learning how to make cheese. That's right. Um, so we cut. Morgan is eating and talking to himself, saying things like, it's yours, so you take it. Uh, crazy Morgan. And uh, Eastman now brings the goat inside and asks Morgan not to hurt her and says goodnight. Right. And turns off the light and goes to bed. Um, does he bring the goat in every night or what's the deal? I, well, I'm not really sure, but I would assume so. Why would you leave the goat outside at night? Wait a minute. Zombies. I just figured it out. Okay. He brings the goat in every night because there's zombies outside, but usually he puts the goat in the cage so the goat isn't roaming around the house all night. Yeah. And this time, that's why he built that little fence inside the house so the goat could go inside the uh, fence. 
Yes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because yeah, the uh, his you know, Tabitha's regular regular inside room is taken up by this guy, this weird guy, exactly. So uh, I just somehow figured that out while I was sitting here talking about it. So good work. There you go. Um, so they go to sleep, and next day Morgan watches Eastman outside practicing with his staff some more. Eastman kills another zombie, drags it away. So he's pretty proficient, obviously, with this thing. And then we get this amazing scene of Eastman trying to make cheese and basically just going about his day in other ways. He tries the cheese, but it is disgusting. Yes. And I kind of like this scene. It was a little bit of comic relief, I thought, as he's you know wants to spit it out. And he's like, oh, my God, that is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to get a goat now and make your own cheese? That'd be great, man. My, I have a yard big enough for a goat, don't I? Yep. Are you allowed to get a goat? I don't know. I mean, some people in the city have city chickens for eggs and stuff, but that's a gray area. That no, that's not that's not legal at all. I'd get a chicken coop if uh, if I was allowed to. Are you sure it's not legal? I know I'm a guy. Pretty sure. I think it's a gray area. Like you can own a cat, you can own a dog, you can own a chicken. I don't think you can own chickens. Those are that's farm animals. You can't own farm animals in the city. Why not? I don't know, city ordinance. Well, I'm not sure about that. Those people in City Hall are crazy. They'll do some weird things. I, uh, I, well, that's, yeah, that's right. That's why they work in City Hall. Yeah. Uh, no, I knew a guy who got a chicken, had eggs all summer long or whatever. And then one day on Facebook, I saw posts of nice, succulent looking chicken breasts. Nice. Yeah. I, I really don't think that that, uh, I don't think it's a crime. I just don't think, uh, I think it's a bylaw violation. Okay, maybe. You get a fine for it. That's it? And they take yeah. your chicken away? I'm not sure if and they might have to go through legal proceedings. I think it might be a big deal to take the actual chicken, but you might get chicken fines every now and again. Chicken fines. Well, I don't know. If you can't have a chicken, you probably can't have a goat either, but, you well, know. Well, I, yeah, I'd totally get a chicken coop and have fresh eggs all the time. That's a great idea. You should do it. Look into the laws for your city. Oh, I, I did. I can't have a chicken. <laughs> I did. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> One of the first things I did when we bought the house was like, okay, I'm going to get a chicken coop. I'm going to put a fire fire pit in the backyard, and I can't do either of those. You know, the fire, I don't want to go too far down this thing, but the fire pit is okay. You can do the fire pit. In Toronto, not in Pickery. No, really? Yeah, I looked it up. Yeah. The, no open flames. A police without officer. Without a permit from the police, or not the, uh, from the fire marshal. A police officer told me that you can have like campfires in your backyard in the city of Toronto as long as you have a water source nearby and a water source includes a hose and you are cooking on it. So you just have to have a bag of marshmallows next to it. Awesome. It's it's a weird loophole. That is weird. So anyways, uh, that's enough of that. Um where are we? Uh, so yeah, he tries the cheese and it's disgusting. And then, uh, you know, more staff practice and stuff like that. It's really just Eastman going about his day and Morgan watching from his cell out the window or, or whatever. Um, now we get Eastman a little bit more information about who this Eastman guy is. And he tells Morgan that he was or is a forensic psychiatrist, but now lives here. And I like this line because of the state of the state. And really the whole world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things are not in such a good state, so I now live here. Um, and Morgan now admits that what he does is clears. Walkers, people, anybody that gets near him, he says, which Eastman calls horseshit and yeah. then gives him more food. He's like, that's not a job, clearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a thing. You're just killing people. 
Um, so we cut to a scene. Morgan is pulling the, the handle off of his zipper, I guess off of his jacket or something. And he tries to use it to pry off the wood against the window that's holding the metal bars together. Well, he wasn't prying. He was digging at the wood to loosen it. Like there was little pits in the, yeah. at the base of every one of the bars. Like you can't use it to pry anything because it'll just break. It's well, that's a right. Piece of you know flimsy metal. But he was using it as a a digging digging implement. But he almost gets it. Like the wood starts to come away, except then Eastman comes back to the house, and so he kind of puts it all back together and pretends like I wasn't doing anything. Yep. Right. Um. So he's trying to escape, though. Basically, yeah. He I think he has an escape plan, and uh, he's almost free. Hmm. Once Eastman comes back in the house, though, uh, what I wrote down here is that he basically doctors him. So he's a forensic psychiatrist, and he kind of figures out Morgan. It's one of those scenes you see in movies where some smart person figures out everything they need to know about a character just by looking at them yep. or talking to them a little bit. And Eastman, you know, basically says, well, you have PTSD. And, um, you know, he says, have you killed a lot of people? Or did you save a lot of people? And uh, Morgan, you know, reiterates they were all pointless acts and stuff like that because everyone turns anyways. Morgan does tell him about the two guys he killed in the forest, though. Mm-hmm. So I guess he's, I guess there's a little bit of exchange of information here. But uh, basically, Eastman figures out that Morgan was married, that he saw his family get killed. And he starts talking about this whole concept of the door, you know, and the way Morgan is in this horrible state and he keeps seeing, you know, a door after another door and he goes through that door hoping that he'll come out on the other side and not have to live in this, this terrible moment anymore, but that it just never works. You go through the door and you end up in the same place. And that's what's driving Morgan crazy. Um, and Eastman seems to, in my opinion, he seemed like he figured this out really easy, but then when you think about it, he probably uses this same analogy for, or used it for a lot of his patients that he saw over the years. Well, I, I guess it's, uh, you know, it might be his standard way of looking at PTSD. Mm-hmm. It's something you can't really, or you can get past, but it takes a long time and it takes a lot of the same sort of repeated suffering or something like that. I don't want to talk about PTSD because I don't, you know, I'm not a uh, a doctor of any kind. I just play one on this podcast occasionally. (laughs) But Eastman says he's interviewed over 825 people, and in that time he only met one evil person. Hmm. Wonder who that could be. We will find out. That's for sure. Uh, So he tells Morgan, he goes on, he tells him that the the cell door he's been in this whole time has been open. The whole (laughs) time. He's been there for like two days, and it was never once locked. And Eastman offers him two choices. He says, you can either go and clear all you want, do what you're doing, or you can crash on this couch and we'll find another way for you. Um, but Eastman says, the one thing I won't allow you to do is kill me. So that seems reasonable. I think so. You can either stay or leave. Just don't hurt me. Just don't kill me. Like, how hard is that? Um, so Morgan opens the door steps out and what's the first thing he does tries to clear tries to kill him yeah he tries to clear him he lunges at him uh we take a commercial break but when we come back from the commercial we are right back into the fight uh which is what they're doing eastman has the upper hand at first but morgan gets on top of him 
And while they're fighting, they break the the picture, the kid's drawing on the wall that we saw earlier. Yeah. And, you know, with, uh, with Morgan on top of him, Eastman uses some sort of special hand move to free himself and then subdue Morgan into submitting, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Eastman looks really pissed off about this picture that got broken on the wall. Well, it's obviously important. Yeah, it's a kid's drawing. So, you know, you can sort of infer what's going to happen there, but clearly he's upset about that. Morgan once again asks Eastman to kill him, uh, but Eastman, you know, decides not to. He stays his hand and he reiterates the two choices. He says, you can either stay or go, but uh, you can't kill me, (laughs) as I just proved. So Morgan gets up, he goes back into the cell and closes the door. Eastman opens it again, but Morgan kicks it shut. So they're not really seeing <laughs> eye to eye here. Yeah. Um, we cut over to nighttime and Eastman explains that he used the Aikido method or Aikido. I'm not sure, you know, I had to look up what that was, but it was a, it's a method that he used to redirect Morgan earlier. It's a uh, defensive martial art. Yeah, I I did do a little bit of reading on it, and you're right. It's 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 um, it's all about never ever killing anyone. Well, it's not it's not only that. It doesn't Aikido doesn't have any offensive moves. Like it's all reaction to what the attacker is doing. Oh. There's nothing. There's no actual offensive moves. You cannot attack someone. Yeah. You know who's a master at Aikido? Like an actual master? Who? Steven Seagal. Really? That's that's his martial art is Aikido. He is very, very good at it. And then he decided to be an action hero huh. and learn some attack moves. But uh, yeah, you cannot go at uh, Steven Seagal with a knife because it, it, he'll just redirect you into the floor. Got it. They should have cast him in this role. Oh, God. <laughs> Can you imagine Are you that? kidding? <laughs> that would have been a horrible idea. Authentic, though, if he's actually an Aikido master. Yeah, but... Uh, still Steven Seagal. Still Steven Seagal, and, and <laughs> that would be bad. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was Steven Seagal that was an Aikido guy. Damn it, now i got to look it up. All right, well, while you're doing that, uh, Eastman is talking about you know Aikido, and then he, he talks about his daughter, who gave him a lucky rabbit's foot. Now, this rabbit's foot we've seen before, too. We know that Morgan has this rabbit's foot, so you can sort of telegraph what's coming here. You know, uh, either something happens to Eastman or Eastman gives Morgan the rabbit's foot before they part ways. Uh, But at this point, Morgan just asks if they're dead. And uh, Eastman says that, uh, well, he doesn't really answer the question, but he says they're making a trip together, but he has no idea where yet. We're going to go someplace. Yeah. We're going to go. We're going to go on a hike together. We're going to do something. We're going to bond. It'll be a good time. <laughs> so Steven Seagal is a seventh degree black belt in Aikido. Look at that. That's amazing. Yeah. So is it sort of, uh, this is, uh, please don't take any offense anyone, but is it sort of like yoga? <laughs> you just do no, it's, poses uh, it's, and moves and that's no, it? No, it's, it's a defensive thing. It's just, it's redirecting um, movement and attacks. So you can it's, it's exactly what he said. It's respecting your attacker. Got right? it. You don't want to hurt you don't want him to hurt you and you don't want to hurt him, so you redirect everything so that it doesn't hurt him or you. It's just a you know, Got it becomes it. a moot point and eventually they go, Yeah, I can't really, you know, land a blow, so 
I'm just going to go somewhere else. You just end up frustrating your attacker to no end. Yeah. I mean, they, they break, end up breaking down and crying and, you know, doing various things. Got it. Okay. All right. I understand now. Um, so they have no idea where they're going on this trip, but Eastman goes to bed. Uh, and now remember, the cell door is open. So Morgan can leave anytime he wants. What he decides to do, though, is he comes out of the cell. He goes over to the table where Eastman was working to find out what he was doing. And he discovers that he was fixing the picture that got broken. That's nice. Yeah, isn't it? We cut to morning. Eastman's there. He's trying to make cheese. It's still not very good. And he talks about being a vegetarian and he mentions goo goo clusters. Yay. So again, everything is coming together here. <laughs> well, he says he's a vegetarian, but he doesn't, he don't think, he doesn't think he could be a, a vegan because one, he's trying to make cheese and two, you can't give up chocolate. No, you can't do that. That'd be crazy. He's sticking with the goo goo clusters. Yeah. Um, and he talks about scavenging more stuff for the trip and he asks Morgan to watch Tabitha while he's gone and then leaves. Yep. He's very, he's extremely trusting of Morgan, right? He knows Morgan's a bit crazy. He knows that Morgan attacked him already, but I guess he can see the good in him or he can feel the good in him because he is, he just leaves Morgan alone. He leaves him in that cell. He goes to sleep at night in that house. Morgan's right there. So... It's kind of an interesting uh, interesting character trait to have in the zombie apocalypse when everybody else we meet is so defensive and suspicious of other people. You know what I mean? Right. It's, I do. It's interesting to see this here. Um, Morgan, at this point, after uh, Eastman leaves, Morgan looks at the book, which is still on the floor. It's like days later, and he hasn't touched the art <laughs> of peace yet. Yeah. He picks it up, and he starts reading, finally. And it, Oh, here, yeah, it includes a description what of what Aikido is. And here's what the description says. Aikido means not to kill. Although nearly all creeds have a commandment against taking life, most of them justify killing for one reason or another. In Aikido, however, we try to completely avoid killing even the most evil person. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Back to the evil person. Yep. <laughs> um, Morgan hears some can noise outside. And then some zombie noise. And at first he hesitates, but he does go out there and he ends up saving Tabitha the goat from two walkers. But in the process, he destroys a fence and squashes a tomato plant. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, he's killed again. He has killed again. That's right. By flopping down onto a tomato plant. Um, Morgan's then dragging the zombie body away. He comes across a makeshift cemetery with many small crosses with names on each one. So he starts digging a grave. Eastman comes along and he thanks Morgan for saving Tabitha and he calls this progress. And what he means is it's just progress in sort of Morgan's transformation into someone who doesn't have to clear, but who can, you know, not kill anybody, I guess. Yep. Now, Eastman takes the zombie's wallet, <laughs> which I thought was sort of funny. It reminded me of that scene in Back to the Future 2, where I think he took his wallet. <laughs> so, it reminded me of when Rick was rifling through everybody that he killed. Yes, it reminded me of that too, to be honest. But uh, he, Eastman takes the wallet out to look for the guy's ID so he can make a sign with his name on it for the cross. Right. Um, and it looks like Eastman has buried quite a few people here. There are a lot of crosses in the ground. So every zombie that comes by or, you know, I guess person or whatever that comes by uh, that ends up dying somehow, he buries in his little cemetery. Yeah. 
back at the cabin, Eastman tells Morgan that he's got to fix the fence because, you know, you destroyed my fence and my tomato plant. You got to fix that. And then he shows him his old busted fire spear and he gives him a proper staff. Yeah. So now Morgan has the weapon we've been seeing him use for uh, a season now. That stick is useless. Use this stick. Pretty much. You're, well, I mean, the, the spear, it was all broken and it was only, a, it was like a, just the nub of a pencil, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't use this anymore, but here's a nice solid stick. Commercial break and we come back and we see Tabitha, a repaired fence and Morgan planting new plants. Yay. So a little bit of time has gone by and he's, he's been uh, making good for what he destroyed and out by the river we see them practicing Aikido and we get a voiceover all about life being precious, accepting everybody, consider the feelings of your opponent, etc. So all the tenets of Aikido and it's kind of a training montage really. Mm-hmm. You know, we cut back and forth from voiceover to them training to doing other things. Um, and this is kind of how we pass time, I guess, from Morgan going from guy who repairs fence to guy who no longer kills and follows Aikido at dinner. There's a dinner scene. Morgan asks about having a cell in the cabin. Why would there be a cell in here? (laughs) It seems a little weird. And Eastman tells this story about one of the people he had to evaluate back in his day job. A guy by the name of Crichton Dallas Wilton. And to make the long story short, he tells him, you know, he tells Morgan that this guy was a true psychopath. The one, you know, evil person that he ever met. And he he was attacked. This guy attacked him during the interview. And Eastman used the same move to escape from this guy as he did from Morgan earlier in this episode. And then Eastman was able to keep him in jail based on his professional, you know, testimony or or whatever. Uh, But eventually he got out and Crichton went to Eastman's house and killed his family, his wife, his daughter, and son. And after turning him in, he basically admits that the only reason to get out of jail was to go and ruin this guy's life, which is truly psychotic. Yeah, that is, well, it's evil. It's totally, totally evil. So Eastman, you know, uh, his whole plan with this cell is that he built this cell with the intention of bringing this guy, Crichton, Dallas Wilton here, putting him in the cell and watching him starve to death behind the bars, which, uh, you know, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, it sounds so harsh, but this guy just killed his whole family. So what are you going to do? It's still pretty harsh. It, 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 yeah, it is. But, you know, eye for an eye. Maybe. (laughs) Well, yeah. I guess, if you believe in that sort of thing. Morgan asks him if he did it, and Eastman just replies with, I have come to believe that all life is precious. Doesn't really answer the question, but that's what he says. And at the time, my thinking was, well, if if he came to believe this before he did it, he probably didn't do it, because... If that's the case, then you wouldn't let a man starve to death in a cell. Um, But I wasn't sure because if he came to this realization after he did it, or maybe he came to this because he did it, I wasn't, I didn't know at the time. Yeah, I didn't know either. I didn't know. We didn't have the full story. No. Um, Pretty, pretty brutal story though about a guy getting out of jail and killing your family and then saying, I, 
you know, that's the only reason I got out was to, to do this. It's just mean. Oh, it's, it's beyond mean. Um, commercial break and Eastman is there in the house. He's suggesting they try the islands off the coast. He's talking about their trip again. So now they're talking about destinations for their little vacation. Right. And Morgan says he knows where they can find some stuff that they need. So things like a crowbar and stuff like that. And he takes him back to his spike circle in the forest. So it wasn't really that far away. No. Um, which I guess was obvious because he could hear the goat, right, from from the area. From nearby, yeah. Yep. Um, so while they're in this in the spike circle, Eastman sees the messages and asks Morgan who he lost. And then Morgan, of course, talks about uh, his, his wife and son, Dwayne. And Eastman says he's sorry and can tell in this scene that Morgan is sort of losing his cool a little bit, right? Like, faced with the sort of, you know, emotions that he comes with thinking about his dead family, he's, he's losing his training a little bit, mm-hmm. I think, anyways. And uh, Eastman says, do your forms right now which just means practice the moves and, and calm yourself, right? Yeah, get out of your head and uh, do something just to calm yourself down. Exactly. So now Eastman makes it, he, he has an interesting line here. He says to Morgan while he's doing his training, he says, you're going to hold a baby again. Yeah. Which I thought was was fine because he had just been talking about his son and so on. So it makes sort of, it makes sense that, you know, don't worry, you're, you're going to get through this. You will hold a baby again. But it was, didn't it seem a little like on the nose since like just a episode ago or two episodes ago, we saw Morgan holding Judith and they made a big deal out of it at the time. It was, it, it was pretty on the nose, but he was also talking about the fact that, uh, you know, Morgan's wife and son are both dead. Well, that's, so that's probably something on his mind. So, I mean, it's it's within the realm of possibilities. It was, but I agree with you. It's a little on the nose. For some something about it bothered me in that we saw him holding the baby first, and then we go back in time and we see this line. If they'd somehow done it the other way around, where this guy, where Eastman says, you know what, you know, you will hold a baby again, because it makes sense within the context of their conversation in this scene. But if, but we've already seen that happen. So you know, as the audience, maybe you could put two and two together, but they had to kind of spell it out. But if they'd done it the other way around, I feel like it wouldn't have bothered me at all. Like you're, you know, you'll hold a baby again. And let's say three episodes from now, Morgan's holding Judith and you're like, Oh, see, he was right. He knew. I don't know why. I don't know why it didn't work for me as well this way though. I was fine with it. All right. You're fine with everything. Um, maybe not Not really, but this I'm fine. with. Okay, good. So, a walker at this point comes out of the forest and it turns out it's the guy Morgan strangled to death earlier in this episode. Yeah. So he did not put the stick through his head at the time. And this affects Morgan a little bit. He hesitates. So Eastman steps in to push Morgan out of the way, but gets bit in the back by this walker. Right in the back. By yeah. Yeah. A backbiting zombie. Morgan starts to freak out, of course, and he's totally reverting back to his clearing mentality. Eastman says, well, he tries to tell him, you're done with this. You made it out. You know, don't revert back now. Um, And they fight with their staffs. They have kind of a cool staff fight here. And uh, Eastman, at this point, still gets the better of Morgan. And Morgan asks him to kill him again. So it doesn't 
it didn't seem to me like Morgan has quite learned as much as we thought he had or hadn't come as far in his Jedi training as maybe we expected. Not yet. No, not yet. Um, after this, Eastman loads the dead walker on the wagon and leaves. So he's going to take him to the cemetery, I guess, to bury him. We have a commercial break. And when we come back, we've got Morgan making another spear from firewood. Uh, so I was thinking to myself, he's what's happened here. He's totally reverted back. Like he's, he hasn't followed Eastman back to the cabin. He stayed in the forest and he's making another spear. Uh, turns out he is kind of hunting through the forest and he takes out a walker and it's revealed that he killed the walker, but he saved two people, like two mystery people that were going through the forest that uh, were, this walker was sneaking up on. Mm-hmm. So a couple characters we've never seen before. Um, now Morgan's all threatening towards them and he lunges at them, but he, he holds back for a minute and to thank him for saving their life, they give him a can of chicken noodle soup and a bullet. And a bullet. Okay. I guess they're just saying Bullets we- Bullets are important in this uh, society now. We've got some ammo, so here's one bullet. I don't know. Well, maybe they only had one bullet. I guess. I guess. I don't know. It's like a gold coin. It's, uh, it's you know, it's an important piece of equipment. I, I suppose. I just thought it was weird. Like, like a- a can of soup and a knife would have made more sense to me, but because Morgan didn't even have a gun on him at this point, right? So it's not like they saw the gun and were like, hey, you might need this bullet for your gun, whether it fits or not, who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, but if he can't use the bullet himself, maybe he could use it as a bartering item for uh, for something sure. else later on. Yeah, It's maybe. like money. It's a currency. It's like a gold coin. I just think a knife would have made more sense, but I guess knives are more valuable and they didn't want to give up their knives maybe. Well, yeah, but giving up a bullet for a, a gun that you don't have is is fine. You know, like I restrict you enough to be able to give you this valuable piece of equipment that uh, I have, uh, you know, is completely invaluable to me. Invaluable, that means the opposite of what I want. Uh, it's completely unvaluable. Uh, useless. Um, Disvaluable. Uh, yes, has no value. <laughs> anti-valuable <laughs> all right well morgan lets them go so he does not clear them so he hasn't completely reverted back and i think this experience you know put him back on the right path so he grabs his staff and returns to the cabin uh, but he gets there to find a walker eating tabitha the goat oh man the goat went down i feel bad for tabitha uh, he brings the walker body and the goat body to the graveyard where he finds Eastman digging a grave, even though he's bit and he's not in great shape. Morgan, yeah. So Morgan tells him to rest. And then Morgan notices Crichton Dallas Wilton's grave. So we can only assume that Eastman brought him there, let him starve to death, and buried him. Yeah. Or at least brought him there, killed him, and buried him. I guess we don't know for sure that he starved him. Or went and found his uh, grave somewhere else, dug him up, dragged him all the way out here, and then buried him. <laughs> and reburied him. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't last long because Eastman then explains that he did kidnap him from his work detail after he was back in jail, brought him here, and he did indeed let him starve to death in the cell. He says it took 47 days. That's a long time to watch somebody die. Oh, that must You've have... got to have commitment. Like, that is got... That is commitment to want somebody dead my god watching some 
poor soul, even though he's an evil person, starved to death for 47 days. You're right. Could not have been easy. Would not be easy for anybody. Um, Now, Eastman says it didn't give him any peace, um, but he found that uh, it did make him decide to never want to kill again. So I guess he got his revenge on this guy, but it sort of had, it didn't have a satisfying effect, which, as they say, revenge never does. Um, He went back to Atlanta to turn himself in, and this is the best part. When he went back to Atlanta, that's when he found out the world had ended, (laughs) as he said, although Morgan says the world hasn't ended. Um, But he didn't know there was a zombie apocalypse until he gets back to Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, after another commercial break, Eastman is there explaining that his daughter drew the picture that was on the wall. He liked it so much, he just put a frame around it. And when he was in Atlanta, he went back to their house to get it. And he uh, lost his car on the way back and says he walked 30 miles through the dead for a piece of drywall. Yep. But you're going to do what you're going to do for something with sentimental value. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd, I'd walk 30, 30 miles through the dead for drywall. That was important to me. Exactly. Important drywall. Yeah. Uh, he tells Morgan, now he's dying, of course, and he tells Morgan that he can stay there, but he shouldn't because he'll be all alone because I'll be gone and Tabitha's gone. And he says everything in life that's worth anything is about people. And to me, this was one of the most important uh, lines from the episode because it you know, I know we're seeing Morgan's transformation here, but this is what it was kind of all about, that you can't always just live alone. You got to, you got to be with people that you care about. Yeah. Um, and Eastman says, it can't just be about you. You know, you have to live for something and the best thing to live for is, is other people. But Eastman says he's ready and that he, he has a gun in a lockbox uh, outside, I think he said. And on the way out the door, he gives Morgan his rabbit's foot. So there you go. Now Morgan is the owner of that rabbit's foot, hopefully a lucky one. And, uh, and, uh, they, uh, go outside and we don't see Morgan kill Eastman. What we do see is him practicing some more Aikido and he looks really good at it now. And then we see him all packed up and leaving the cabin for good. And on the way out, he passes a graved marked Eastman. Now it was either, it looked like there was a first initial, either F Eastman or E Eastman. I couldn't quite make it out, but it doesn't matter. We don't know his first name. It was just Eastman. So obviously Eastman is dead. Morgan buried him and uh, he's on his way. We see him come to a terminus sign. If you remember those terminus signs on the train tracks. I do. And he heads off following the train tracks. Uh, I guess, on his way for, uh, towards Terminus. I think it's an E. E. Eastman. E. Eastman. So Eric Eastman. Uh, Edward. E- Edward. Elephant Eastman. I don't know. Eschwitz. Could be any of those things. But it's just Eastman, as far as we know. And that's it for the then. We go back to the now, although we don't get a title card. So we just cut back to the same scene we left in the present. And... As uh, as we said, he's talking to the uh, the Alpha Wolf, and I call him Alpha Wolf because that's what he's listed as on the Walking Dead uh, wiki page. Mm-hmm. He's the most prominent wolf, I suppose. And Alpha Wolf shows him a wound on his side, so I guess he's well. It didn't look like a bite; it looked more like a knife injury. So he may die, or he may not die. I think he's going to die. 
from the bite though or from the bite i think it's a bite or... i think he was showing him i am wounded by a zombie uh i'm gonna die so you're gonna die right so what he says though he says um he talks about finding the pictures so aaron's pictures and he said that this place looked like you had it all together based on the pictures and maybe there'd be some medicine here but now since you know they attacked and most of the wolves were killed uh, he says he is going to die, but if he doesn't, he's going to have to kill every one of the people in Alexandria, including Morgan, of course, and children and anybody else that are there that is there. That's too bad. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a very friendly thing to do. Uh, Morgan looks really pissed, as you could, as you would be. He stands up, and it looks like maybe he's going to kill the guy. But he doesn't, because Morgan doesn't kill people. Instead, he leaves and locks the gate outside, leaving the, the wolf alone in this room. Now, outside, he, you know, walks up to the sidewalk, looks back for a second, but all of a sudden he hears Rick yelling, open the gate, open the gate, and runs off, presumably toward the gate, and the episode is over. So Rick's back. So now Rick is back. That's right. Um, and that's it. That was 90 minutes of Morgan, uh, and Morgan's backstory. So, um, I have some thoughts on this episode, Jason, but, uh, why don't you tell me what you thought of it before we, we get to mine? I thought it was, uh, I, you know, I really am kind of ambivalent towards it. I, I did find the backstory interesting. Uh, I, I did enjoy it, but I don't think it was riveting. I don't. I didn't think it was yeah. uh, uh, something that was uh, very, very terribly exciting for me. So I, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of whole hum about the whole episode. I'm with you. I don't. I think there was a lot to like in this episode, but it suffered from a couple of things, and one of those things was the length. Now, I don't mean it was too long necessarily. It might have been too long, but it might have also been too short which sounds weird for like a a 90 minute episode. I started thinking, you know what? I'm not really even though this is a a good story. Like it's an interesting backstory and I'm glad we got Morgan's backstory here. I feel like in some ways the episode almost wasn't long enough for us to truly understand his transformation from clearing Morgan to Aikido Morgan. But in in the other ways, if they couldn't make it longer, I almost wish they'd made it shorter and done it in a standard hour-long time slot and then paced out his transformation a little bit better. Right. Because my feeling in this watching it was um, I felt like it took forever for Morgan to start his transformation. And then at the end, towards the end of the episode, things really sped up and... Like he reverted back. Like what I mean is he, he, it took him forever to sort of start his transformation into an Aikido master. And then he had his moment of doubt at the end, which made him revert back where he let those people go. And then he immediately reverted right back to being like an Aikido master. And that was it. And I felt like that should have happened more in the middle of the episode than in the last, you know, quarter in the, in the last act. So in that respect, I'm like, well, maybe if they'd compressed it a little bit and they, they showed a little bit less of the buildup towards that, towards his like moment of doubt. Um, it might have felt like it balanced a little bit better. Or if they'd done two hours and that moment of doubt had come right in the middle and then 
we saw a little bit more of him struggling to get back on the path, it would have it were would have worked better. So I just feel like the ninety minutes was the wrong length, and it should have been shorter or longer, which I know is kind of weird to say because I don't know which would have been better, but. I just know that I don't feel like at 90 minutes it worked very well for me. All right. Well, next time just watch it at a faster speed. So it's over in an hour. But yeah, yeah. it's the uh, it's the relative position, though, of of the uh, the moment of doubt that bothered me. Right. It's still in the last uh, the last quarter. And that's just that's too late in the story for me. Right. So that didn't really work out. Um, and then. Uh, the other problem I had with this episode, and I think a lot of people had this problem, because there's a fair amount of backlash online against this. I don't know if you've read any of it. None. Well, some people like this episode, and but most of the people are like, what the hell? Like, you know, after what happened last week at the end with Glenn, we get 90 minutes of Morgan, you know, people saying things like doing nothing. Which isn't true at all. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not on that page at all, but I do think it may have been a mistake for the producers to order these episodes the way they did. And like, what do I know? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just a TV watcher, but it feels like they put this at the wrong place in the season. Um, I can see that. I can see how after, you know, what happened with Glenn in the last episode that we get this 90 minutes of, uh, you know, this guy walking through a forest, he meets a guy, you know, he interacts with a goat a little bit. And then at the end, he's just this guy walking through the woods again. Right. And in this, even if this is a, is an amazing episode, it becomes a little underwhelming because of what was built up to in the previous episode, right? People want their payoff. They don't want a slower episode that's about a, a guy, you know, transforming be- from a from a guy who kills everybody into someone who kills nobody. That's that's fine. That's an interesting story, and that's great. And I'm glad they told it. But maybe if they'd done it when there was a little bit more of a resolution in the main storyline. A natural break for something like this before they started something new. And, you know, I know they're trying to build tension and they're trying to keep people's excitement and keep people talking around the water cooler like, you know, oh my God, Glenn died last week. Uh, I can't wait to find out what happens. And and they want that feeling to go on a little bit more. But I just feel like it, it was dropped in the wrong place and it's pissing people off instead of making them excited. Right. Right. And I felt that way too. I mean, I want to know what happened to Glenn and I don't like having this episode dropped in the middle of, of the story. And it feels like it interrupts the story instead of adding to it. I, I, I would agree with you, you know? So it's kind of a bummer. So I think this episode is suffering a bit in that way, in that it's just, it's just not in the right place. Um, and, and you know, it's not, I agree with you. It's not in the right place and it's not riveting enough to truly distract me. As, as a, uh, you know, adding to the story. Wow, that was awesome. Well, let's get back to the main plot. It was more of a, yeah, that was okay, but I rather would have had some plot from the show. That's right. And, and again, not that this isn't plot, because it does provide insight into, you know, one of the generally favorite characters on the show. A lot of people love Morgan. They, they're really, really interested in what he's all about. But it, it's just... 
I feel like they took away from it a little bit instead of adding to his character by putting it here because people were so distracted with, you know, the main plot and what else was going on. So anyways, I don't know. I mean, maybe when we see the whole season, look back on this season as a whole, we'll think differently because, you know, we did get the main plot. We found out what's going on with Glenn. Uh, all kinds of other amazing stuff happened and we got Morgan's story. Like it, maybe we'll look back and think, boy, that was a jam-packed, amazing season six. It's just a hard sell right now. Yeah. So that's all. Um, so, I mean, I was a little underwhelmed by the episode, but I'm trying my best to to look at it for what it is. And frankly, the performances of by Lenny James and uh, what's his name? What's his name? I forget now. Something Lynch. Yeah, the guy, Carol Lynch. Um, anyways, they, they both gave great performances, I thought. They were pretty much the only two people in this this episode. Um, I mean, if you don't count the wolf and those two survivors in the forest, but both of them were amazing. And Lenny James was particularly awesome, I thought. So there is a lot to like. It just, and I liked the goat, the goat, the goat's performance was, was spot on. You know, I believed that, uh, Tabitha was a goat the whole time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, I think we have a holy crap about, about Tabitha. Yeah, we do. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Tabitha when we get to that. So, um, but you know, Lenny James is amazing. So again, I don't know. I, I'll stop going on about it, but they thought they just sort of messed it up by, by they messed up a good thing by ordering the season all wrong. <laughs> if it were me, I would have done it all differently. <laughs> um, all right. So that's, that's, uh, season six, episode four. Here's not here, man. And, uh, we are going to take a quick break and come back with the aforementioned, holy crap, did you see that? Stay with us. want to help support the talking dead podcast you can do so by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com slash amazon and clicking on one of the amazon stores that is most appropriate for you before you do all of your online shopping at amazon which i know is where you and everybody who buys stuff online does their shopping I just bought something on Amazon Amazon using our link. Well, good for you, man. I have, I will have no idea what you purchased because I can't look that kind of thing up, but I appreciate it. I bought a flat coaxial cable to be able to go through a window. Oh, fancy. Yeah. Very fancy. Well, now I know. Uh, but you don't have to tell me what you buy, everyone out there, if you go to Amazon and use our link. Uh, when you're doing your holiday shopping, your Black Friday shopping, whatever kind of shopping, just visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon and uh, visit the store of your choice. And we appreciate everyone's support very, very much. All you words, all your lies, so empty, 
Holy crap. Did you see that? All right, we've got some holy craps. There's not too many this week. Uh, again, I think people were a little underwhelmed by this episode, and there wasn't quite the reaction to it that we've had for the first three episodes of season six. But uh, Sean on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see that? Me, bored to tears. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, Sean, I didn't see that. Sean says, don't get me wrong, I love the show, but really this is painful. This is the first episode I'm considering walking away from, and I didn't even know that was possible. We got the point from the very beginning. Except for not knowing the fate of the goat and the big guy, this whole thing was fairly predictable. Um, and that is another problem with this. We know how Morgan ends up. We know how Morgan starts. So we get an hour and a half long episode that's, in my opinion, paced all wrong, of how he gets from A to B. So well, it's always tough to do flashbacks because you know what's going to happen at the end. I mean, the Titanic movie was set on the Titanic. I mean, oh my God, what's going to happen? Like we know how the damn thing ends, right? Right. But the drama is created in the way they tell that story and the way they depict it. And they could have done that here too, but they kind of missed the mark, kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Steve on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see that? Tabitha the goat. Easily my favorite goat character in the entire series. Mine too. Love her. Hope she sticks around. Oh, wait, she's Aww. dead. Never mind. <laughs> so, Tabitha the goat. Too bad. Uh, Katie in the UK. Holy crap, I just bawled my eyes out over a goat. I thought it was going to be Eastman uh, being chewed up on the floor, but I was even more devastated to see that it was Tabitha. <laughs> so uh yeah people are are broken up by this goat uh michael in london says my holy crap moment is when the goat decided to break character and keep eating grass literally seconds after morgan saved it from the two walkers i mean come on what was the goat playing at i hope it didn't get paid a full day's work <laughs> oh man what do you pay a goat uh, grass and various other goat well, feed. I'm sure the handlers actually got a fee, but, you know, would they, I, I don't know. Well, what do you pay animals? Uh, I think they're just happy to be there. They're happy to be working. Animals are stupid. Yeah, most of them. Uh, Noop J from Dallas writes, holy crap, did you see at about the 33 minute mark, <laughs> Morgan gave that walker a stool sample, imp <laughs> impaled its head on the leg of a stool. Only my wife thinks I'm funny. <laughs> I think you're funny too. I laughed out loud literally at that stool sample. That was pretty good, stool sample. So yeah, you, me and your wife, that's it. You guys should all get together and have laugh a coffee. Laugh at you? <laughs> <laughs> or laugh at them, yeah. yeah. Uh, Gemma from Bryn Mawr, South Wales, UK. My holy crap moment was actually Eastman telling Morgan what happened to his family. I actually gasped out loud as he described how they were killed by the killer Eastman had been evaluating for release. I think I've grown too used to characters losing their loved ones uh, post-apocalypse on this show, but we are reminded with this story that the world has messed up, or the world was messed up before all this started. Yes, it was. Yep, there were crazy people uh, from the beginning. Uh, so we got Jennifer in orange, the city, not the fruit. She says, holy crap, did you see what was missing? Steven Yeun's name was gone from the opening credits. Pocket watch, no name, WTF. 
Oh my God. So the next one is the same. Benita from Old Toongabby, Sydney, Australia writes, holy crap, did you see that Steven Yeun's name has been removed from the opening credits of Here's Not Here? Damn it all! <laughs> and then Oh, fi- that's concerning. And then finally, Josephine in Vancouver, in previous seasons, main characters who have died, the actor's name has remained in the opening credits for the remainder of that season. Even though Laurie died in the third episode, Sarah Wayne Callie's name remained in the opening credits until the start of season four. Are the AMC AMC producers just mind-fucking us? If they are, it's working. That was my next comment was they're just fucking with their heads. So a lot of people pointed this out and wrote this in. um, And I think most people seem to think that that is the case. They decided to take his name out of the credits for this episode and see what happens because they knew people were going to go crazy. Yeah. So everybody just calm down. Glenn's not dead. Yeah. Um, it's just more of the same that we talked about last week with them making statements and, you know, being all vague about it and saying, we'll see Glenn or parts of Glenn again. Uh, you might even see his name in the credits again someday. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so they're just, yeah, they're just screwing with us and, Frankly, I don't like it. I say, like one of our listeners said, commit to something and stick with it until they pull the rug out from under us later. Yeah. But no. Uh, Jack on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see that? uh, Holy crap, did you see that is the two? Did you see the two disheveled survivors Morgan let go? Sorry, I'll get that out. Apart from Morales and his family in season one, I can't think of any people who leave the show without dying. A couple of examples I can think of are Red Rucksack Guy, or I think it's Orange Backsack Guy, Backpack Guy. Packsack is fine. Boy, I cannot talk anymore. Uh, uh, A couple of examples are Orange Rucksack Guy we see running after the car, who is later seen dead, and Rick uh, takes his bag. And the two people Rick gives his watch to are later killed over the troughs in Terminus. Of course, I may be completely forgetting obvious survivors, but I really want to see those two again. So what Jack is saying is uh, you see someone alive, and then later on you see them dead. Um, yeah. With the exception of Morales and his family, and I guess there's a few other characters that have come and gone, but uh, do you think we're going to see these two people in the forest again? Dead? Dead or alive? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Because... Uh... Uh, Eastman said he, he's from Atlanta, right? So this is close to Atlanta it is. where this is. And now we're, uh, you know, the main plot is taking place outside of, uh, Washington DC. So we're not seeing them again. They're gone. Yeah. They would have had to have traveled all the way up there. Um, in- I like to think that they went down to the, uh, they were going South to the Gulf of Mexico and they found a boat and they, uh, went to an Island just off the, uh, uh, off the Yucatan, Yucatan Peninsula. And uh, they're living off of uh, bananas and coconuts and uh, wild boar. The guy was on crutches, so he's had time to, you know, his leg to heal, and they're living the the good life now. Yeah, and they found a warehouse full of rum. They're doing all right. (laughs) They are doing just fine. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. I don't think we'll see them either again either, but that's a good story. Maybe we'll get a uh, bottle episode of what happened to them. Maybe. And you you just wrote it. Uh, Christopher in Las Vegas, Nevada writes, holy crap, did you see Morgan trying to break out of the cell with a broken zipper? That must have been some cheap wood. (laughs) You can scratch wood. I mean, wood's not made out of steel. Uh, No, it sure isn't. 
made out of wood. It sure it's is. Probably, he probably made that whole thing out of pine. You could scratch that with your fingernail. Yeah, and he was just trying to dig bits out of it, like you said, yeah. so he could separate it from the wall. So, yeah. Uh, But yeah, maybe it was made out of balsa wood. That stuff scratches pretty easy. Yeah, you could probably dig that out with your tongue. <laughs> it's pretty soft. It, it really is. Not sure I'd want to watch someone do that, though. <laughs> no. Uh, finally, friend of the show, Adam, in Austin, Texas, writes... Holy crap, I think we needed a two to three minute sequence of Morgan and Eastman enjoying the hell out of some cheese. Don't tease us that he's a cheesemaker when in fact he was really just a cheese attempter. That's true. I was going to bring that up was that we didn't actually see him make cheese. And why would Morgan call him a cheesemaker? I learned it from a cheesemaker? No, I learned it from a forensic psychologist. It's Maybe. Yeah, or even... And I, what, Aikido, I learned Aikido. it from an Aikido master. Well, he's not even a master. He's just well, an Aikido dude. Yeah. I mean, I learned could, it from an Aikido dude. He could have called him a turtle aficionado for, for Christ's sake. I mean. He could have called him a, uh, a goat owner. He could have called him a family man. He could yep. have called him bald a, dude. A cabin dweller. You know, cabin dweller. He happened to see him making, well. Friend? The, <laughs> yes. I learned it from a friend. Um, he said he's learning to make cheese. Then Morgan sees him attempting to make cheese a couple of times, but to our knowledge, never successfully made any edible cheese. Well, he did say he he said the grassy notes are a little more astroturf, so I guess that was technically edible, but he never made good cheese, and you'd think if you're going to call someone a cheesemaker, it's because they make good cheese. So I think Adam's right. We needed a scene of them just eating some cheese and really enjoying it, but we didn't get it. So, uh, all right. That is all the holy craps. There was uh, a manageable, manageable amount this week, and I think the amount of holy craps we get is in direct correlation to what people's general feeling on the episode is. Episode. So a lot of holy craps, a really positive response to the episode, a few holy craps, a lot of which are holy crap, what the hell did they just do? I was bored, mm-hmm. is, is indi- indicative of a an episode that uh, didn't go over very well. I think we might be on to some sort of aggregate rating system here. If we go back through <laughs> through six seasons or five seasons worth of episodes and figure out how many holy craps we got for each episode, we could rank them based on that. Yeah, so, it, it might uh, you know it might be skewed near the beginning when there was only like seven or eight listeners and we used to do our own holy craps as well. So, uh, it you know, the numbers be. would be skewed based on time. It could be, but over, over uh, you know, over the, I don't know, I think, I think it might add up to something over time. So if anyone wants to do that, uh, be my guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and good luck. And uh, good luck, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure we aren't going to do it, but maybe it would be interesting. All right, uh, that is going to do it for this episode. So overall, sort of the first episode of this season that I haven't loved, even though I can see the good in it. I can see, I can feel the good in you episode. Yeah. Um, and we will see what happens next week. I'd like to make a bold prediction right now, Jason. Bold predict away. I don't think we're going to get any more information about Glenn next week. And I don't know. Have you seen the trailer? Uh, no, I haven't. So I, I can't say I've seen that. I have no idea what you know what content was in there. So if Glenn, if Glenn is in that trailer, 
just ignore everything I just said. Well, they can't do that. They're not going to show Glenn in the trailer for next week because that just kind of spoils the whole Glenn's dead thing. Yeah, come right? on. In in some ways, you could argue they have already spoiled it. Oh, well, go ahead. No, that that was it. They're, no, they haven't already spoiled it because no. it's still an open question. Okay. Um, I, I there was one more thing I thought about this episode, and uh, which which I think just says it all, and that is that. In some ways, the most exciting thing about this episode was the final line when you hear Rick yelling at the gate, open the gate. Right. For me, I was like, oh, good, we're back to this again. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) So that says it all right there, that we had to get all the way through this to get to that point, and we're like, great, back on track. So we're back to now. We are back to now. Uh, Anyways, my bold prediction, sorry to jump all over the place, was that... We might not have any Glenn resolution next week either, and uh, I don't know how that's going to make me feel. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I, I'm 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 looking forward to finding out how you feel about it. Okay, good. Thank you. I'll I'll be sure to let everyone know. All right, we will be back on Wednesday, everyone, with our feedback show for this episode. Uh, make sure you send some stuff in, and and uh, we'll read it on the air. If you want to do that, you can email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail You can uh, send us a voicemail by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com and clicking on send voicemail. That allows you to just record yourself right into your computer and it comes straight to us. And, uh, you know, when we get calls that are, uh, are, that are worthy, <laughs> we put them on the podcast. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Talking Dead. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Ciao.